What do you want to be when you grow up? What's your dream? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be whatever I want to be, right? And we dream these audacious dreams. And in our culture, there's a horrible, horrible time in our life when sometime around the end of high school, maybe going to college, we're like, would you stop dreaming? Get a job, you know, get, to, get down to work and stop this crazy dreaming thing. And that kills all creativity, calls, cre kills joy, creativity, belonging, love, kills all of that. If we just brought back into our culture, dreaming audaciously, imagine what we could achieve. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It is so great to have you. My guest today is Tim Dumas. Tim is an executive coach and a businessman. And I got introduced to you, Tim, through our mutual friend, Steve Foran, who I believe was episode three on this podcast. And I always say any friend of Steve's is a friend of mine. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ron. I'm so grateful to be here. I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. Why don't you share with us a little bit of your story? Sure. Yeah. Ron, I, I, I'm an executive coach. I coach primarily in the business world, but certainly from a personal and a professional standpoint. And um, I knew from an early age or thought from an early age, I was called to coaching, but, but, it, but it came in a very roundabout way. See, um, I'm from just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, and my passion as a young child was football and especially my hometown team, the BC Lions. And my grandfather, he wanted to pass along his passion, actually not from fo for football, but his passion for medicine at that time to one of his children or one of his grandchildren, six children, then two dozen grandchildren. And I saw him run on the field one day on TV as he was the doctor for the BC Lions to tend to my favorite player. And as he tended that player, I'm like, that's who I want to be passionate. And I can see my grandfather probably through the TV screen lighting up saying, I'm sharing my passion with my grandson. He's going to become a doctor. No, <laughs> he wants to become a football player. So for most of my childhood life, my life revolved around football. And my grandfather, uh, I've met many great men in my life. My grandfather, my maternal grandfather is one of those great men. And he'd always shake his head at me. And he'd say some, sometimes he'd say this, he was Polish and he'd say, my boja, my boja. And I'm probably butchering the Polish there, but it was short for, as he shook his head, my God, my God. <laughs> and, but he always looked at me, said, Tim, there's, there's three really important things in life. And they all start with F and that's your faith, family, and football. And he said, I know those are the three most important things in your life right now, but I think you might have the order just slightly mixed up because Football is the most important thing. And he was right. I lived my life for football throughout high school. I got a scholarship to be able to play in college. And I thought, you know, I was going to take this as far as I could. Maybe I can go pro and maybe not. But if not, I'm going to become a football coach after that. So I'm in my first year at college. I'm in a little school in Erie, Pennsylvania in the United States. And as I'm walking off the field, one of the first weeks of practice, 
I'm walking off with Joe Kimball, one of the other, uh, one of the other greatest men I've met in my life. He was a head coach. As I'm walking off the field, talking to him, I see these two little kids run up to him. They're six and eight years old and they're his children. Gives him a big hug and a kiss and continues walking off the field with me as we were going into a team meeting. And he looks at me and at that time in football, everyone called me Timmy. He said, Timmy, I absolutely love football and I love what I do, you know, helping shape young men in their lives. But he said, during the season, I leave home before my kids wake up and I get home after they've gone to sleep. And the most toughest thing about this job is during the season, if my kids want to see me, they got to come to the football field. And I made that decision today. My dream to be a coach died that day. My dream to be a football player died a few years later when we're in the Canadian East-West Bowl. The best players from the West are playing the best players from the East. I'm returning a kick and I would never give up. So I catch the ball and some guys got my leg and I'm fighting for extra yards as the next guy comes down 50 yards on a full sprint, cleans my clock and I'm out. It's my seventh concussion. As I go to the doctor a few days later, he said, Tim, here's the deal. He said, what do you want to do with your life? He said, you can keep, uh, I'm not going to clear you to play because you don't have any long-term damage, but it could happen anytime. He said, I don't think you should, but if you really want to, you can find someone who will help, who will clear you to play, but you shouldn't. And that was the last I ever played football. And that's the last I ever thought about it. My dream died that day of being a football player. And my dream of being a coach had died years earlier. So for the next almost decade and a half of my life, I, I went through life putting my head down, uh, working hard. I was probably a pretty good worker, probably even a reasonable leader, but I just worked hard and my eyes weren't open to the rest of life. And my dream had died. And that's why I really lacked that passion. And it wasn't until I met an executive coach that we brought into our company. I didn't know what an executive coach was at that time. He came in. And he started opening our eyes of what life coaching was like, business coaching was like, executive coaching. And we started to see the business grow, the people in the business grow. And I sat down with him one day. His name's Dean. And I said, Dean, we need you to work with everybody in the company. We need coaching everywhere, but we probably don't have enough money and you probably don't have enough time. And he's like, it's not the first time he said, he's like, Tim, you're stupid. He goes, <laughs> you're already doing it. You just got to get better at it. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to do that? He goes, I'm the coach. I ask the questions. You give me the answers. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to call me back within 24 hours and tell me what you're doing. I go, 24 hours. That's not nearly enough time. He's like, yes, it is. So I call him back in 24 hours and say, Dean, uh, I'm booked to go on a plane in two months to Florida to get certified by John Maxwell as an executive coach. I went down there, spent a week with John Maxwell and his team, became an executive coach. And that is the day my dream reignited. I actually did have a vocation to become a coach. It wasn't necessarily a football coach, even though I still coach my kids in football. But it was to coach people in their personal, in their family, in their professional lives, because they're all intertwined. And since that day, I've been living my passion for coaching. That is so cool. What a fun story. Oh my goodness. My face is exploding with joy. Just listening to you. Uh, you know, a couple of things you said in there that I find really important is that your dreams died. Two different dreams died. What an empty feeling that is because it's so normal 
to envision the future and who we want to be or who we could be and really start to align our ducks to head in that direction. Because how else will we get to where we want to go if we don't visualize, if we don't have passion, if we don't have vision? And every now and again, those visions die. And where does that leave us? It's just such a cool story. And I'm sure our listeners are going, yep, that happened to me. I remember the day. I remember the topic. I remember the feeling. And yet you press on and there's life after the death of dreams. Yeah. So uh, number one, yes, I think there's life after the death of dreams, but I think there's dreams after the death of dreams and a dying to a, a dream doesn't mean that that's close. That football playing or coaching dream yes was dead but the dream wasn't dead and that's the thing i didn't figure out for more than a decade is that that wasn't dead but the one there's a couple of things that we need and number one it's game changers if i didn't have that coach that executive coach coach dean to be a game changer to ask me the question to help open my eyes to what that was i might still be wallowing to this very day number one and number two um, one of my passions is dreams, and we don't ask people enough in life what their dreams are. Uh, our great friend Steve Foran, his favorite question is, what are you grateful for, right? Always talking about gratitude because it's not happiness that makes us grateful, it's gratefulness that makes us happy. And that is an outstanding question. But another great question is, if you knew you couldn't fail, what dream would you achieve? Because as we go through life, when we're young kids, our parents, our grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers say, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's your dream? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be whatever I want to be, right? And we dream these audacious dreams. And in our culture, there's a horrible, horrible time in our life when sometime around the end of high school, maybe going to college, we're like, would you stop dreaming? Get a job, you know, get, to, get down to work and stop this crazy dreaming thing. And that kills all creativity, calls, cre kills joy, creativity, belonging, love, kills all of that. If we just brought back into our culture, dreaming audaciously, imagine what we could achieve. Imagine how many people in life are walking through life currently as robots. They're walking through as robots. They wake up in the morning, they have to be at work at 8.30, they show up at 8.25, they get a coffee, they go to work, they have to leave at five, they come home, they have dinner. They're robots. They're not living intentionally. Imagine if we ask the questions to help people live intentionally and ask them a question of, if you knew you could not fail, what dream would you achieve? I hope everybody pauses this and answers that question and then ask your spouse or your business partner or whoever's around you ask them that same question give them a few minutes of quiet silence and and, and see what they say because it is such an empowering and an invigorating question that is so cool so as you and what i i, I think and correct me if i'm wrong you still spend half of your time in the business you own and you spend half of your time coaching. I love that. So you have your, your foot in both worlds. You're not just out there helping others. You're helping. You're also doing it yourself and you're helping others. I just think that's so neat. And so much of what I do when it comes to leadership coaching with, with Catholic clergy, what ends up happening is they end up becoming, they and their leadership team often end up becoming the coaches for others. I don't think they'd use that word, but they end up influencing other people around them eventually because 
they become more and more fruitful in their ministry and the impact that their ministry is having on the lives of others. And it's hard not to give away what you're doing if you're excited about it and it's successful and you understand why it's successful. It sounds like those same principles are probably at, at work in your life with your business to be able to launch off from that and to really help others. Yeah, I would argue as, as with clergy, they, they, are, they are coaches, right? Uh, I remember uh, one day I sat down with a priest for some spiritual direction and I said to him, I said, great father, I'm here. We know the goal. We've already got it figured out. Just get me to heaven. Uh, <laughs> tell me what I need to do. Is it, what is it, right? Is it, you know, an extra 20 minutes of prayer a day? What is it? You know, you tell me. He looks at me, shakes his head. He goes, not the first time I've been called to you, stupid, stupid person, right? I don't think he said stupid, right? But not the first time he, someone said that to me. He's like, it's not the same for everybody. Some people, you know, are called to get to, to heaven through feeding the poor every day. Some people it's, you know, you know, 18 hours of prayer per day. Some people it's being the best darn uh, husband, father, wife, mother, brother, sister that you can be. Some people it's, uh, you know, in your workplace being the greatest positive influence. It might be to ask people about their dreams. It might be to help them to understand what they're grateful for. Uh, there's no blueprint on how to be a great person. Uh, that priest told me I'm only here to help you figure it out and ask you the questions for that. Well, what does that sound like? That's exactly what I ask businesses. I'm not here to tell you how to achieve your goals or even what your goals are in business. I'm here to help you ask those questions. And, you know, as we come back to the, that great dream question, that's the first question I ask executives. Can you just tell me uh, some of the dreams of, uh, of these people you work with, the five people that report to you? Tell me their dreams. And nine times out of 10, they look around, they're like, dreams? Am I allowed to ask that? And I'm like, uh, I think so. Uh, you know, would, don't you think someone would like to share that with you? Like, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe HR might get mad that I'm getting too personal. So, you know, what's really funny is lots of people think this. So I just started asking people, I'm like, if I said to you that I'm willing to support you to achieve a dream, not necessarily in professionally, it might be, but personally and professionally, would you want to share that with me to roll the dice to see if I might be able to help you? Like 99.9% .9 of people are like, I'll roll the dice on that. I want to buy a brand new house. Is there anything you can do to help me? So it's funny because at, um, in my professional life, in, in, our, in our family business, which is called Jack's Fear, Wine and Spirits, we have these things called dream sessions. And so uh, every, uh, every four months we get together and we have a, like a, a, a hour and an hour dream session. And that's where they do their, their performance review, right? So our performance reviews are called dream sessions. We dream and then we talk about performance and how we can get better too. But we always start with dreaming and we just don't do it every few months. We're talking about this, um, you know, week in and week out. How's your dream coming, et cetera. So I have this woman that comes in to do her dream session with me. So ask her, what's the biggest, boldest, most audacious dream? If you knew you couldn't fail, what would you achieve? And she looks at me, she says, you know, I, I didn't really grow up with much. I grew up in a tough background. No one's really asked me that before. I just don't know. I'm just happy that I have a job and I can pay my bills. And I said, well, that's okay. Just, just think about it and come back. And next week, see if you've got something. So next week, uh, she comes in and she says, well, you know what? I, I did think of something. My car broke down on the way to work. And, you know, I never in my life thought, 
I could have a new car. Uh, you know, even times in my life, um, we weren't well off. And, and as a family, we didn't even have a car at some times in our lives. So I thought just having a car would be amazing. But you know what? I can't afford a new car. I couldn't do it. Uh, you know, I, I, I know I couldn't. But, you know, you told me I couldn't fail. So I told you. So I said, okay, you can't afford a new car. Can you just prove that to me? She looks at me. She says, what? I said, just prove it to me. I said, go down to the car dealership, talk to the finance department, talk to the person selling it and see, and, and just prove to me you, can, you can't afford a new car and it's not going to work for you. Uh, yeah, part of it was I already knew that that probably wasn't the case. But even if it was, let's say she came back and we, we identified she couldn't, then we're going to set an action plan. Okay, how can we save enough or do what we need to do? Or what can, how can she get promoted to get to the point where she can afford a new car? So seriously, it's like a week later. She runs into the office, grabs me by the arm and runs out to pulling me in the parking lot. I'm like, hey, I got to go into a meeting. Can you hold off? No, Tim, you got to come to the parking lot. She's clicking her keys furiously as she jumps into this shiny blue Mazda 3. She's like, Tim, I got a new car. And the only reason she got a new car is because we asked the question, if you knew you couldn't fail, what could you achieve? Uh, we could ask that to many people. It would be a multitude of different things. But people achieve more when you ask the question and when they have game changers around to simply support them. Love that. Love that. And so that was Tim in your life. That was you in this lady's life. I love that. And the, and the truth is, and even the, the very fact that you're sharing this with us, that's something that we can ask the people around us where we can be empowered to ask that very fun and cool question. Love that. Tell me a little bit. You mentioned that at one point you went to the priest. So what do I need to do to get to heaven or what, what more could I do? It reminds me of the rich young man that approached Jesus. You know, I do this, I do this, I do that. What else do I need to do? And, uh, I don't think he really liked his answer, but uh, <laughs> but at least he was asking the question. But tell, tell me a little bit about your faith. You mentioned, too, that your grandfather was challenging your, the order of, of your priorities at one point, that football was ahead of faith. Uh, tell me why faith matters to you and how did that come about? Well, I, th I think faith matters. And we look at it from the secular world. You know, um, a lot of people talk about having something in their life that's greater than themselves, right? And in the secular world, people who don't have faith, they talk about, you know, if you're going to give back to, to the world, when you begin with the end in mind, you think at the end of my days, what's the legacy I'm going to leave on this earth? And even people in the secular world say, I'd like to leave something that's bigger than myself. If it's just myself, you know, at the end of my time, my body's going to lie and just rot there. So what is that thing that's bigger than myself uh, that I can do? I was very lucky that um, my family I was born into gave me the gift of faith. And uh, that's the most important thing in, in my life. And certainly everything I do surrounds that, right? How can I continually build upon my relationship? with Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, I just like everybody have, have some struggles. Um, but if I'm aware and I'm lucky to have a, a wonderful wife that has the same goals and we can help be game changers and help to hold ourselves accountable and then our children accountable. And that's the way that we leave our, lead our lives. And when I come home from work one day and I have a tough, decision I have to make because as you grow older you realize when you were a little kid there were good guys and bad guys and there were good things and bad things when you get into the the, the world 
there's a heck of a lot of gray. But when we have that faith, when, when we've set our values, when I've set my personal mission, then I come home and I say, is that what I want to be known for? And it's kind of like in the business world, sometimes we lose our way as far as with our customers. Because a lot of people behind closed doors and businesses, we have a strategic planning session. We say a heck of a lot of things we wouldn't want customers to hear. We're like, let's do a little more of this and give a little less to the customer so we can make a lot more money, right? And that happens all the time, almost every business. And if you tell me you've never done it, I'm not sure that you're being, that you're self-aware. Uh, but if we hold that, that we say everything in front of, everything we say is going to be heard by our customer, imagine what greatness will pull out for our customers and imagine what great, a great company we can, we can build. Back to the faith part, Jesus is here with us all the time. He sees everything that I say and do. So when I come home and I discuss these difficult things with my wife or sometimes with other friends that, um, that are game changers in my life, think about this is what I'm going to be known for. Is this what I want to be known for? I've made some tough decisions on businesses I've got involved in and businesses I haven't got involved in. Not every decision has been the right one or perfect, but when I go through it, I'm like, is this what I want to be known for? I, I, I said no to a business I thought might be financially lucrative because I've worked it through with my coach in the situation, ironically. And we just stated, is this what you wanted to say on your tombstone? Great executive with company X. And I didn't want to be known for that at all. Mm. I wanted to be known for other things. He's like, well, figure that out and live your life that way. Mm. And so basically, I'm living my life with hopefully that passion uh, to fully to continue to develop my relationship with God, to continue to develop that in, and be that great example for my children as a father. And then in the secular world, to live with that type of passion and virtue where people will ask why. Mm. And when people ask why, I'll tell them I'm living for something greater than myself. And it's that guy up there that died on the cross for me. And when we start living for something greater than ourselves, that's when we can operationalize greatness in the world. Thank you, Tim. That's so cool. As you were talking about some of the conversations that can happen behind closed doors, sometimes in business meetings, how can we give a little less and make a little bit more? You know, what if we, what if our, what if our clients heard that, you know, there's a scripture that talks about that. Everything said in secret will, will be heard. And it's like, ah, yeah. But to, so, so in other words, live your life like that. That's exactly what you're saying right in scripture and, and very much in keeping with living a life of integrity uh, where the outside of the cup is the same as the inside of the cup. And uh, I just love that. And I think, you know, what I love about what you're saying and even what you're speaking into, there's so many people that listen to this podcast that are business owners and, and, and trying to find inspiration in life to live a life of faith, to live a life that would make Jesus proud, to glorify Jesus and these principles that you're talking about and how you're laying them out is just such a beautiful roadmap, some wonderful guideposts to really call, call each other to be great, to be better, to have an impact that you, allows you to sleep at night and your kids to look up to you. Totally, 
I think sometimes it's hard for us to live our faith. And especially, you know, there are some areas that are hostile to our faith, right? But when we're able to greatly develop relationships with the people around us, relationships in a way that's uh, with humility and vulnerability, and when we truly, um, uh, you know, love the diversity of the people around us, and they ask us, why do you do the things that you do? And why do you do them the way you do? Because most people are drawn to somebody that's goal in leadership is to serve others and to support them to achieve their dreams. I haven't heard anyone say, hey, that's, I, I don't like that. I've never heard anyone say that, right? And when they ask me, I, I do that because of my faith, my faith in Christ. Yeah. And some people say, hey, I'm not down with that. And I'm like, I'm just telling you uh, why I do it. And you have that choice um, to do it for that, those reasons or not. However, would you like to live your life to, uh, to support others, to help them to achieve their dreams? I don't meet anyone that doesn't want, that doesn't want to do that. Yeah. So what ends up being really ironic when we put this into practice operationally in businesses, we start living our, our lives together. Uh, me beside the, the, the person that's atheist or agnostic beside me. And we start living our lives, uh, making a positive uh, impact for others, um, which See, it sounds strange when you first hear it. And then you realize that's actually like, Pete, that's what people want to do. And if we can make that positive impact on the world, the world will be a better place. Mm-hmm. Our churches will be a better place. And there'll be more people striving for that same uh, oneness with Christ that, that I would be. Love that. Beautiful. You know, my guess is, there's been not only great people, game changers in your life, that's probably been some good books that you've probably read that have kind of helped form your thinking. What are some books for you, for Tim, that have had an impact in your life? Well, certainly there are some great authors, right? Uh, and certainly who have read, uh, written many great books. Um, one of them is a guy named John Izzo with a cool, really cool principle called the 100-0 principle. And that was simply... When you are 100% responsible and make 0% excuses for everything that happens around you, greatness happens because you start to take control and start making excuses of this is because of the world this way or, or this happened, right? It, think, think about that story I just told about that woman that bought the car. She was making an excuse that she was from a tough background. She didn't make enough money. It was all outside of her control. The moment as human beings, we're able to internalize that and realize that we have some control over the circumstances we're placed in. We start making ourselves better, which weirdly enough starts making um, people around us better. So John is, we wrote a book called Stepping Up. He's written many other books. Another great book that, um, that I think is a business book, but it's actually a relationship book is the five love languages. If we figure out the love languages, not just the, our spouse or our children, but the people that we work with, it's weird. We start being able to connect with them because we know that their love language is words of affirmation or gifts or accept whatever it is, acts of service, right? Um, isn't that amazing? The five, five love languages. Um, I work with a gentleman named Alex Havard who wrote a book called Virtuous Leadership, among any other book, many other books. And for a lot of my career, I was always trying to figure out what the definition of leadership is. And so as a great child of the 80s, I went to the dictionary, which is now the internet, merriamwebster.com, and I looked up leadership. And the definition of leadership is the act of being a leader or the position 
of being a leader. So if I wrote that on my third grade spelling test, I would have failed because you could not define a word by a root of the same word. It makes no sense. So I'm like, okay, they don't have any clue what it is. So I got to figure out what it is. I went on like a decade long trying to figure it out until I met Alex Savard. In his book, The Power of Magnanimity, he said the greatest definition of leadership is magnanimity. The root of the word magnanimity is in generosity. But he defines it as this, the spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. Magnanimity is the spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. And that's, isn't that really what leadership is all about, right? Oh, full stop. Boom, done, <laughs> bang. Wow, that is spectacular. That is so spectacular. I think that's when I remember you're probably familiar with Zig Ziglar, you know that name? Yeah. Yes. You'll get what you'll get what you want out of life if you just help enough other people get what they want out of life. I just love that. Yeah, it's it's the principle of um of giver's gain. Have you heard that principle from Business Networking International? So business BNI, Business Networking International is a is an organization that has networking groups all around the world. They have thousands and and you know millions of people that are in it. And the whole purpose is for people to come together. It's a bit on professional development, but to share, um, share contacts to hopefully get, um, get more business. So the painter comes and works with the construction person, the plumber, yeah, all the different business. And the whole point is to get more business through network referrals. Gotcha. But the whole, um, the whole thing they tell you when you join a BNI group is that your only purpose here is to give because givers gain. So the moment you walk out of that meeting today and say, shoot, I didn't get any referrals from these people today is the moment that this group is not going to work for you. When you go to that group and say, I gave four different referrals, say I got help get this person business, this person business. It's kind of funny that things start working out for you because givers gain. And that was written in his book by Dr. Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI, that givers gain. Wow. <laughs> That's great. It's so fun to hang. I remember at one point, uh, getting involved in a, a branding boot camp during COVID, uh, and just being around a bunch of entrepreneurs online while we were all trying to figure out <laughs> if life was over as we knew it, and just kind of, you know, the beginning of COVID wasn't that the craziest moment in time, and it's so fun being around all these entrepreneurs from these different businesses and different backgrounds and different experiences, and watching them problem solve and talk about issues and do it with a sense of hope, a sense of um, ownership of the outcomes. It, it was so invigorating because in some circles, you know, people were just kind of shutting the doors down and, you know, churches were just like, hey, this will be over by Easter. So we're just going to take an extended time off. And, and some really haven't rebounded. They, instead of taking that opportunity to innovate and find and, and trust me, plenty of churches and church leaders did and good on them. And some didn't. And I guess it's normal in every industry, not just the church. But I'll tell you, it's really invigorating being around people. Well, uh, one of my favorite coach quotes during COVID was Winston Churchill's never waste a good crisis. And in crisis, great organizations become even better. Good organizations fail and, and sorry, good organizations get worse and bad organizations fail, right? And we saw that during COVID and it all had to do with mindset, right? You mentioned with churches, right? There were some 
that took it as a great positive said, we're going to grow this thing. We're going to have all these things online. We're going to reach out to people. We're going to have people driving to people's houses, dropping things off for them. This is going to be the best thing that's ever happened. And the only difference between them and the people that failed was mindset, right? They found a way. Um, and, and if you let me at the end, I have a great poem by an author named Andy Andrews from his book, The Traveler's Summit, which is an amazing leadership book um, that will take two minutes. And I can share that oh, 100%. Um, at, at, at the very end. But um, it was all about that mindset. It was the same with businesses. Business said we have no choice but to succeed because they asked themselves and we knew we couldn't fail. What would we do? Well, guess what they did? They started making out a roadmap of what we do to know we couldn't fail. And then they went and did it. It's the same thing about churches. There were others that said, well, we want to be very cautious. and We're going to do this, you know, or not do this. And then less people started coming and people got in the habit. Once you get in the habit after two years of not going or not practicing your faith, or even in business of not going to that place of business, going to restaurants, doing all those things, you get in that habit. You got to actually do something to break that chain. Mm -hmm. And, um, the whole purpose is finding those things and continuing to do those things until you find it. There was great opportunity in the pandemic. And I'm so sorry about the organizations that didn't take advantage of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. There's parishes that paid off their debt during COVID. Their giving actually went up. They're their reach to people outside the church grew through their online stuff and, and just, yeah, so good. So fun to watch people innovate. And again, the work that you do with, with leaders and business is just so cool. One of those things those churches do it did is the ones that sur sur survived and thrived was to ask questions, right? I, I can't tell you how often I, I worked with uh, either churches or not-for-profits who said, oh man, it's the pandemic. We can't ask for money anymore. I said, why not? I don't know about you, but I've walked out in the world and I've seen a heck of a lot of businesses flourishing right now and people that still have still have money that would be willing to donate to a church, uh, other charitable organization during a tough time. But the greatest thing we stopped doing was asking. When you stop asking, people stop giving. When we stop asking people, even you know, in the business world, to do business with us, funny enough, they stopped doing business with us. We also stopped asking them the question of how can we best serve you? It's different now. How can I serve you? But I don't know about you. Did you, did, did you receive those feedback forms from a church? Did they ask you in the way that, that you needed to do? That goes back to the 100-0 principle. Rather than saying they're just not coming, they've lost their faith, they, whatever, right? We ask ourselves, what are we doing wrong? When we internalize it, internalization leads to action excuses leads to inaction. And I don't know how to fix any of these problems, but I know for darn sure it's not inaction. I know what from action, it might not fix it, but it'll be one step of the way to the goal. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I don't know what saint said this, but I remember the first time I heard it, I almost fell down with joy because I, I so often I hear, oh, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. And we just wait and do nothing. And not that that's not a reasonable strategy if that's what God's calling you to do. But some saints said, you know, pray like everything depends on God and act like everything depends on you. I thought, oh, finally, like fi that to make sense to me, do what you can do and just trust that God's going to do the rest. But 
spend yourself on the battlefield of making a difference with good intent, be self-aware, <laughs> be influenced by great people and game changers around you, but make the most out of life by giving the most you can to life and to leadership. Love to hear that poem. You've got me totally, totally looking forward to this as we wrap up. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So this is from Andy Andrews. If anyone hasn't read Andy Andrews, great leadership author from his book, The Traveler's Summit. And it's called A Personal Declaration. Knowing that all those who arrive have to begin where they are, I choose to begin now. At this moment, I will do something. For too long, I have allowed fearful thoughts to dominate my life. But now I recognize fear as a misuse of the creative imagination that has been placed inside of me. In the past, I've allowed fear to shove all hope aside. But no more. Fear no longer has any power to stop me from doing what I know to be right and true. I am no longer afraid. I am courageous. Right now, I will do something. The person who faces no hardship gains no strength. Though I do not look for hardship, I am grateful for its results. For I have grown mighty in soil mixed with troubles. My roots are now deep. My mind and heart have become powerful. A beautiful flower cannot be created without fertilizer. And a dazzling gem cannot be polished without great friction. I have taken the fertilizer and the friction and am better because of it. Now it is time for me to do something. I cannot do everything, but I can do something, and I can do something right now. Never again will I allow what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Circumstances are rulers of the weak, and I am not weak. Neither discouragement nor despair will stop me from doing something and doing it now. I am strong-minded. I can make myself do something I would rather not do in order to get a result that I do want. I will do something, and I will do it now. My life, which was once a question mark, is now a statement. Stormy seas do not scare me, for I am the calm in the storm. My past is behind me and my future is bright, because now I know the secret of the present. I will do something, and I will do it now. Right now, I will do something for my family. Right now, I will do something for my friends. Right now, I will do something for those who do not even know my name. For my family, my friends, and the strangers of the world, are all valuable in my creator's sight. I will let them know that I recognize that fact by my actions. I now know that my smile, my words, and my attitude are actions. They are all under my control. I am prepared to run the race. I'm ready to hit the mark. I will now do my part in restoring humanity to the pathway toward successful civilization. I will do something and I will do it right now Woo! that's great oh, so but that's isn't that the story great. of the pandemic right. we all said once the pandemic's over if we had just lived for right now of what we can do given the parameters that were we were given what will we so many were able to accomplish that and so many didn't act hmm. well and if they're still here and they're still listening then today's the day 
Today's the day. Absolutely love it. Tim, if people want to get a hold of you or follow you, what, what should they do? How could they do that? Yeah, so you can certainly find me on LinkedIn, Tim Duma, uh, last name D-U-M-A-S. You can find me on my website, serviceleadership.com. Service is spelled S-E-R-V-U-S. It is the Latin word for servant. Um, you can also uh, email me at uh, tduma, D-U-M-A-S, at serviceleadership.com, S-E-R-V-U-S. And uh, reach out any of those ways. If you really want to phone me, you can find my phone number on the website as well. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thanks for being our guest today. I love your passion, your enthusiasm, and all your great advice and tips. Ron, such a pleasure. Uh, God bless you. God bless everyone. <laughs>